So one of the decisions that I have to make every week um, when I get ready to prepare, you know, the upcoming sermon, particularly in the book of Psalms, is to determine how are we going to walk through this psalm. Because some of the psalms move us in a linear, uh, move us linearly. That is, they, they take us from point A to B. And so sometimes the best way to move through a psalm is to take it section by section and walk the journey that the psalmist wants us to take. And we just build, you know, section by section. Other times, the psalms are broken up. A psalm might be broken up into two sections saying the same thing from two different angles. And so we want to take that in those two different parts, understanding them as the whole. But other times, we just have to read the whole thing. And today's one of those moments where we got to read the whole thing. But reading the whole thing, it won't feel like there is unity in the psalm. Because behind the English in Psalm 34 is a Hebrew pattern. It's a pattern in Hebrew poetry that we just can't see in English. It's a Hebrew acrostic. That is, at the beginning of every line of the psalm is a successive Hebrew letter. So in English, it would be like having a poem start. The first word of a poem would start with an A. And then the next line of the poem would start with a word that starts with B. And then the next line would start with a word that starts with C. And it would go A, B, C, D. This was a way of helping memorize a psalm. It's an acrostic. In English, it's lost on us. Because the Hebrew letters don't transliterate over into English. There's not necessarily an A for an A from Hebrew to English. And so we miss some of the pattern in the Hebrew, but we need to take it as a whole because it was written in one whole chunk. The whole Hebrew alphabet's right there at the be- as the beginning letter of the first word of every line. But taking it as a whole, it's going to feel a bit free-flowing. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sound more like a jazz set. With some improvision. It's going to be riffs on a particular theme. And it'll come move in and out with theological notes. But it's there in all the notes. All the different pieces that David wants to bring out. And I think we're going to learn not just something about God. But I think we're going to have application for our lives. But we got to move through it. Because there's a pattern. We just can't hear it or see it in the English. But I want us to know the theological notes that David puts into this psalm is going to have something to say with how you and I talk with God today. So we'll turn to Psalm 34. I'm reading this out of the New International Version. And we're going to read the whole thing. All 22 verses we'll work through. And then we'll walk through some highlights um, along the way. If you see the subtitle, these subtitles were not part of the original, but they come in by way of tradition. We'll go ahead and read it on this one. Psalm 34, subtitle of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. Verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glorify in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. 
This poor, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of his, all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weary, uh, grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever, you, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, they keep their tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Now, on surface in the English, it doesn't seem like there's one linear flow to this psalm. But again, in the Hebrew, this has has a a this is all one big pattern, this acrostic. But even with all of this free flowing move. In the psalm, there are some things we're going to have to pick out here. We need to be attuned to. We need to listen for. And the first thing right out of the gate is the fact that the context of the psalm, by, uh, according to tradition, is David sings this song in the context of running for his life. David's running for his life, and God is delivering him. That sets the scene for the psalm. And it's in that deliverance. It's in the aftermath of being saved when his life was on the line that David just has to praise God. And that's how he starts the psalm. I am praising you, God. But something about this deliverance has taken David to a new level of experiencing who God is. Something about being delivered in these moments while he's running for his life has brought David to a new experience with God that now he just has to sing about. And David tries to get at the fact that this is a new experience with God and now inviting others into this experience by using a metaphor. He uses a couple of them here. He says in verse 8, I didn't put it up on the screen, verse 8, he says that well-known verse, he writes Taste and see that the Lord is good. These are strong metaphors, and they are, they are a way of describing experience. Now, there's a scholar that I read uh, for studying the Psalms, and he had a, a, just a fun, practical way of uh, explaining how these words of David, taste and see, is all about experiencing God. I had to share it. Here's what he says. David does not invite us to know the Lord or to study the Lord or see the Lord uh, or to see the Lord, but to taste the Lord. God is calling us to go beyond personal knowledge to personal experience. Taste is not easily described. Taste needs to be experienced. 
Coffee companies are notorious for trying to describe their coffees with words like subtle, sweet, bold, rich, strong, nutty, and robust. But none of those descriptors can take the place of tasting. I'm going to pause. If you put creamer in your coffee, you don't taste those things either. Go black and you taste all that. Douse it with creamer, you've ruined it. Test. Let's go on. It's an ongoing thing, and I have the platform. Here we go. Um, there is even a difference in reading the ingredients and tasting the product. I really like this here. Hearing the words skim milk, milk fat, palm oil, lactose, egg whites, soy lycopene, and artificial flavors is not nearly as great as tasting a Snickers bar. Right? Certain things need to be tasted. They need to be personally experienced. And God is one of them. David is inviting the people of God to come and experience God. And this is something that he has just been able to experience himself because he has walked through this series of deliverances as he runs for his life from King Saul. And here's the thing. When you experience God, you also get to know by experience several things. And this is where David is free-flowing. He doesn't just line these things up verse by verse by verse. He actually interweaves these through multiple verses. So take a look at all the things that you can experience when you experience God. You will lack no good thing. He will actually be attentive to your cry. He will deliver all of his people. He'll deliver them from all their troubles. And you know what else you're going to experience? You're going to experience rescue. Those are all the things you get to experience when you experience God. Now, as good as those are, and man, they are good. The other side of those verses is a truth we don't like to acknowledge. And that is, the people of God are not exempt from suffering. There's this idea that if, like, if I do everything right, then I would never suffer. Well, that's just nowhere in the Bible. God's people will suffer. You do not get a free pass on suffering just because you come to church or you follow God. You will suffer. But God will deliver you. That's the promise. See, there, the, promise is not, the promise is not that you get an easy, comfortable life if you follow God. The promise is God will be with you when you do suffer. Because it will come, but when it comes, he is with you. What a promise. So David takes all of that, again, as he moves through the psalm in this acrostic, making sure to try to fit it into the pattern, and he moves these themes around. He summarizes that truth in verse 18. He says it this way, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. You do see, even in the front part, the other side of that is, you can be a person of God and be brokenhearted. But, but God is close. And then the other side of that also, the other part of that is He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Just because you follow God doesn't mean you're never going to be crushed in spirit. Yes, you can be a Christian and be completely crushed in your spirit and not know how you're going to get through the next day. But you can also know this. God will save you. He is close to you. You don't get exempt, but he is there. 
And so when I think about this, I just think, like, about, man, let me just summarize it, and I try to do it concisely. So I decided to just write it down. Here's how I'd summarize up to this point. A person can taste and see that the Lord is good, even in the midst of being broken and crushed in spirit. Because God is with him or her, and they know that with him, they lack no, no good thing. Even in the midst of the storm, you can know that God will ensure you will lack nothing that you need. So when I think about this grand principle David's weaving into Psalm 34, I can't help to think that that sounds like another psalm David wrote. Maybe you can hear it too, right? We'll just quote it this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, well, he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul and he guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. David can experience, he can taste and see the Lord is good even as he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. He knows and experiences God. And he knows God in the end will make him lie down in green pastures. He knows that the Lord is his shepherd. He will lack nothing. Sounds a lot like Psalm 34 where David tells us that everyone who fears the Lord will lack no good thing. This theme runs through the Psalms. But I want us to remember something. God is not a genie. And just because we ask God for something doesn't mean He has to grant our wish. And there will be times where you will beg God for something. You will fast. You will pray. You will entreat God, please answer. Give me this answer. Heal Give me a job, save this person, restore this relationship. I mean, there's a continuum of the things we pray for. God, please give me this. But you can know this. God may not give you what you want, but he will always give you what is best. And man, that's a hard one to hold on to. But do you know who's going to experience that very reality this week? Children all over this nation. The Yates kids, the little ones, they will come home on Tuesday night, they will dump their bags of candy on the table, and they will be convinced, with argument, that the best thing that they could do is eat all of that Halloween candy. They will be Utterly convinced. Michael will have one way of giving us his argument and Ava will have another way. But they will both believe that all that chocolate and all that sugar is the best thing for them. And we will disabuse them of that idea. And we will tell them no. And we will give them only a few of those pieces and we will make them have moderation so that we can have that candy last until Wednesday, and then I'm going to throw it all away. But, 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 for them, they can't see what I can see. They truly believe it's the best thing for them, but we know it's not. And sometimes we are convinced that being healed 
or getting this answer or that is the best thing for us. But God might, with a much larger perspective, say, no, I'm giving you this. God will always give us what is best for us, even when it does not feel like it. Now, the Apostle Paul, when we move into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul has a way of saying this. So Paul has a version of saying the very same thing we see in the Old Testament. He says it this way. This verse we've read so many times in this service over these years together. Romans 8.28, Paul writes, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. God will ensure all. All things work for your good as as one of his children, even when it does not feel like it. And why would Paul know this? Because Paul had experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. Literally, Paul had come to know this Jesus, the Son of God, who knew the Father more intimately than anyone else. This both human and God in one flesh who suffered more than any other human. The Son of God suffered more than any other human. And what did God the Father do? He delivered him. He delivered him from every one of the troubles he faced, the ultimate enemy being death. When the Son went into the grave in three days, the Father raised him back to life by the power of the Spirit. And so Paul knew there's nothing There's nothing that can come against a child of God that God won't turn to good. Because the ultimate evil, the the killing of the Son of God, was turned for the good of the world. And if that is turned to good, then you can guarantee that there is no trouble that will come to God's people that He won't turn to good. Paul knew that. He had Finally, he had experienced it. And so he can declare all things work for the good of those who love Him. What strikes me is that David predicts this very thing that will happen to Jesus. Right here in Psalm 34 is the gospel itself. Verse 19 and 20, David wrote this just as a refresher. We just read it. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. This is not a promise that your bones will never break. For some of you, you've already failed. You have, you've broken your bones. This isn't about every person who follows God. These verses here, David, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, moves into a prophetic word about the Son of God. The righteous person who will have many troubles, that's Jesus. You see, he doesn't say righteous people. Here he moves to the singular and he talks about a righteous person who will have many troubles. And he says God will deliver that person. And then he adds this one extra thing. That person that will face many troubles, not one bone will be broken. When the Apostle John wrote his account of the crucifixion in the gospel according to John, that's what we call it. He looked back into the Old Testament. And he saw this passage. And he saw this passage as a prediction of Jesus. And can you believe that when we get to the cross and as he's writing the account of what had happened, he remembers 
Jesus never had a bone broken. The righteous person David talks about in Psalm 34 was Jesus himself. Jesus fulfills that very prophecy. Just so we can see it in its full context, I want you to see how John wrote it. John 19, verse 32-36, here's how John wrote it. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus. You do know why they would break your legs. It's just speed up the death process. Like if you're hanging on a cross, eventually you're going to suffocate. And if you hold on too long, and they needed, they, the soldier didn't want to be there all night, they just break your legs and you drop. And you suffocate. So that's what's happening here. And then those of the other, so those two criminals on either side of Jesus, they have their legs broke. Verse 33, but when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Move to verse 36. These things happen so that the scripture will be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Everything David has to say in Psalm 34 ultimately will find its way into Jesus. And if you're connected to Jesus, then you get all the promises thrown in. Why would all this matter? Why is this connection with Jesus and some of the free-flowing moves, Psalm 34? Well, how does that all mesh together kind of in one big truth? I just, let me summarize it this way. I just tried to write this out so we could see how it all pieces together. Jesus experienced God the Father more deeply than any other human. Way more than David or any other person that's walked this earth. And yet, He also suffered more than anyone else. But God ultimately delivered him from his suffering. Every Christian will suffer at some point, and or at multiple points, but they will ultimately experience the same deliverance that Jesus did. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That doesn't mean you're going to get your answered prayer. Doesn't mean you'll get your healing, you'll get the new job, you'll get the healed relationship. That doesn't mean you get what you want. God's not a genie. But what we are guaranteed is in the midst of the storm, in the depth of the valley, you can taste and see that the Lord is good. And in that, you'll be able to make it. And then, in a hundred years, all of those troubles will pale in comparison with the glory you are getting to experience with Jesus. It doesn't mean you're going to have it right now, but you can guarantee you will have salvation. All will be well. That's the heartbeat of Psalm 34. And David, by the inspiration of the Spirit, has Jesus sitting right at the center. So if you have Jesus, you get all the promises. You can taste and see He is good. Now, when I think about application, like, man, how do you get this on the ground? Like, what does this all mean? Because it seems a bit religious also at some point, like super spiritual. Well, I think there's like two directions. And one, I think you're, I think we all kind of, uh, I think we intuitively feel and know. The second one might feel like a rebuke because we rarely will go to this, go to this piece of the application. But I think it's the heartbeat of Psalm 34. So first out of the gate is this. We can cry out to God for what we want. Literally, whatever you want, ask God. And if you want to treat him like a genie, feel free to. He's just not. Like, you can try all you want, but ask him what you want. If you've just been diagnosed with cancer, you beg God to take it. 
If you have a relationship, someone close to you, and you're watching the relationship fall apart, you beg God to restore it. You beg God for anything you want to beg Him for. Literally. The part of the psalm is David declaring that God will deliver us when we cry to Him. So literally, just ask Him whatever you want. So it, I think we understand this intuitively because when we ask people for like, a, like, would you pray for this? We're usually always asking, please pray for this thing that I want. And so just ask. Don't feel bad. What do kids do when they want something? They ask and 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 they ask. And when they're told no, what do they do? They ask and they ask and they ask. You are all children compared to the glory of God. So go and ask and ask and ask. So there's that. Like, don't feel bad about asking God for exactly what you want. You ask Him for what you want. Be specific. You will not hurt God's feelings and His reputation can handle it. You ask Him for what you want. But then there's this one. It's this. If God says no, then no, He has something better. Now, the ultimate better is actually Himself. It is to taste and see that the Lord is good. So, so like, this is the piece, I think, that feels like a rebuke. Because, like, if I got cancer... I'd be asking you to pray that God would heal my cancer. Like, that'd be my one and only prayer. But Psalm 34 doesn't stop with one request. It allows for the request of healing. But then it takes me beyond that my prayer would also be that even in the midst of the cancer, I would taste and see the Lord is good. For in the end, that's the best thing that could happen to me. You know you could be healed of a disease, and in 20 more years you're still going to die. The thing you get to take with you into eternity is who you can get in the valley. It is God. He is who will last, and with Him you last forever. So you pray for healing, but we add to that prayer that I may taste and see that you are good, even in the midst of the valley, in the storm in the troubles. You know Paul experienced this too. I don't have this on a slide. We just read it a couple weeks ago. Paul literally was given a thorn in the flesh. He was actually, God, God brought him into suffering to teach him something. Paul begged God take it away from me. Paul even says, I, I begged three times that God would take it from me. And God said, no, but my grace is sufficient. Sometimes God will will answer us just the same way. And that is our, that's the best thing we could get. Sometimes He's not going to give you a healing or the answer prayer so that you can have Him more fully. You would taste and see His good. Some of you know Ann McPeters, Ann and Ron McPeters. They joined our church in April of last year. Uh, so dear. We were so glad to have them. Um, and shortly after they joined, got a diagnosis of stage 4 uh, pancreatic cancer. They've since moved up to the Richmond area for her treatment. And she's doing fairly well, uh, everything considered, with what she's had to walk through with this cancer. They visited, they came back and visited several months ago, and Anne told our Sunday school class at that time, she said, I, I am praying that God would heal me. And, and when God heals me, it will be for His glory. And then, 
She said, but if God does not heal me, this is for his glory. Now, you know, when someone who has stage four cancer says, if I don't get healed, they're saying if I die. And Anne's right there in front of all of us. If I'm not healed, this is for God's glory. And that is good. Just because we suffer does not put God's character on the line. God will ensure the best for all of his children. And I know that does not feel that way. But you can, this is why we need the Bible. Because we need to be anchored in something that does not waver when our feelings move here and there. Depending on our appetite or how tired we are. We taste and see the Lord is good. Now listen, I've not figured all this out. I just need you to know, like, so many times I bring you what the Bible teaches. I preach to myself. I'm not here. If I get word that my body is breaking down and it's going to be hard to heal it, or some massive accident happens to my family, I lose a loved one. There's not, I don't, there's not a magic switch where I immediately sing Kumbaya and, you know, skip around in, the day, you know, in a daisy field and say, life is good. I'm going to be really angry. Am I going to know, I'm not going to know how to navigate the valley. But I need the Bible as an anchor to remind me. In the valley, I can taste and see the Lord is good. Often, that's where, that's where your taste buds are best, is in the valley. Who wants that? No one. But it is often what is best. So I thought, if there's no magic formula then what in the world does the next step look like? Like, you can't just turn on a switch and make all this happen. Man, I wish. If I had a magic formula, we would have already built a sanctuary. Right? Like, that's the guarantee for growth. Give someone a guarantee for a good life. I don't have a magic formula. So I just thought maybe this is the thing we could do, to just take a, just one step in training to live in to the realities of what Psalm 34 is teaching us. So here it is. Pretty simple. Try it this week. It's this. Add to your prayers and your prayer requests. Literally, here's the line. And through this, that I might taste and see the Lord is good. God, would you heal me? Whatever that is, would you heal me? And through this, may I come to know, may I come to taste and see that you are good. Just add that one line to your prayer. Just add it. You may not even feel that. Because what you really want is the Halloween candy. But you just train the mind and heart. And even through this, that I would taste and see you're good. Like, this is something I'm going to do. I'm just asking you to do it. It's not going to be the magic bullet that would move us to remember, even when he says no or answers in a way we didn't anticipate, he is still good. And the reward is him and him alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and how your word trains us in ways we would have never come to naturally. So whatever we need help with, whatever sickness whatever relationship, whatever work situation, whatever financial position we find ourselves, we're asking that you fix all of it. 
Like, we are just going to be very, very consistent. Fix it. But through whatever the valley is, may we come to taste and see that you are good. We pray that in the name of Jesus, who walked through the deepest valley, and you raised him to the highest mountain. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and together we say, Amen.